there were as many leading and starring roles for Asian actors, if there were as many shows on TV mm-hmm. that had full, uh, you know, the fully Asian casts or fully black casts or whatnot, then we can talk about whether there's equal opportunity jokes or can we joke about all the things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm an entertainment reporter in Canada and a talk show host. Um, and my new hobby, I think floral arrangements okay <laughs> all right <laughs> i'm duana taha i am a television writer and producer uh and my new hobby is trying to find some airpods tips that will actually stay in my ears and hot tip uh there aren't any it's not working all right on today's episode we discuss how hollywood may have contributed to the rise in anti-Asian racism. And why there is a very small and very important thing that you can do to help right now. And then an essay about Gossip Girl that wasn't about Gossip Girl at all. Or the upside of failure. This is Show Your Work. assignment last week that I almost called you for help with. Was this, is this your like singing class? Well, actually, yes. Um, so <laughs> I, one of my like pandemic uh, sort of treats has been like, I'm just going to take me some vocal lessons on Zoom. God knows that after everything else comes back, singing is still going to have to stay uh, closeted because it's like the super spreader. Um, but my teacher was like, okay, make me a list of, I've been seeing her for, I don't know, a few months now. And she's like, make me a list of songs you want to hit at. Because what I learned like differently than when you're, you know, 10, um, is that there's a, it's a different thing to sing something that you kind of know versus learn a whole new song and how it goes and so on and so forth. So I had to make a list of like things on my hit list and it was really hard. Like, what would be the, like, what would be your top three that you would want to learn to sing if you were doing this? Don't bite Um, myself. (laughs) I would want to sing. I want to dance with somebody. Uh Whitney Houston, obviously. Sure. I would want to sing Like a Prayer Mm -hmm. by Madonna. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would want to sing Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. (laughs) Okay, interesting. Because you want to rock out to them? Like, but like, so for example, if you think about Like a Prayer, 
Yeah. Um, you know, in the after the verses, kind of mm-hmm. um, the the breakdown of he's like a pet. Ah, oh, folks can't take me there. Ah. It's yeah. actually like seven layers of blends and singing all at once, right? It's hard to do without right. backup singers. Right. Or sometimes you get two thirds of the way into a song uh, and you're like, oh, this is real high. Like I, I'm right <laughs> here in the pocket, but then when it heads up, this is a lesson I learned the hard way with uh, Chasing Pavements, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a real low beginning, uh, but then it's super high up in the, in the chorus. Yeah. Uh, this caused me to like watch a lot of carpool karaoke um, to pick out some, I picked out a lot of like 60s like I have some stuff from the spinners in there, you know, could it be I'm falling in love? Um, I got some Stevie. I think I ultimately eliminated Whitney uh, because like the, the one that was most like, yeah, I can do that is I have nothing, but that's yeah. also like, it's a very it's been done. Like there's a lot of American Idol, uh, I have yeah, nothing yeah, renditions yeah. and so forth. Um, so I came up with a curious list and it was both more and less like based in my teenage years than I expected. Okay. Just give me five songs on it. So, uh, real love, Mary J. Blige, that one stayed. Yeah. Um, signed, sealed, delivered is on there. Cause I saw Michelle Obama singing it with James Corden. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. Okay. Uh, Tears dry on their own. That's my favorite Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Uh, what else did I have? Um, I love that I, song. I love that song. Tears dry on their really own. It's really great. Um, I struggled a lot with whether or not to include, um, but ultimately did include Killing Me Softly, the Fuji's version, uh, okay. which, because there is like a straight vocal all the way through. Yeah. Um, and I went, if I ain't got you, Alicia Keys. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Weak from SWV, which is actually yes. like breaks my own rule uh, because it's a lot of choruses, but there is one lead vocal throughout. That's a good um, list. It's not bad. Oh, Ain't No Sunshine is in there. Anyway, it is a curious exercise because you you choose different things to actually like work on and learn and perform than you would just to enjoy, right? Wait, so what are these? So how long is each lesson? An hour. Okay, so during the lesson, is it a lot of like, la, 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 la? Definitely warm up for 10 to 15 minutes. I get new, I get new assignments every week or so, right? It's like working with a trainer. Um, okay. New exercises. Uh, and then we work on, okay, last time we really focused on this chorus. So can you put it all together this time? Or... You know, we talked about how to be more in the back of your throat or transition from your from your chest voice to your head voice. You have two different voices, Elaine, um, and that kind of things. Uh, I have a long term song that I'm working on because it's the most complicated thing I've ever heard uh, that I have to like break down bit by bit. It's a good time. So and all this time, there's no background music. You're not singing to a track. You're singing a cappella. Well, so funny story. Um, I, a couple, like the first couple times I had a lesson with her, I was singing totally a cappella. Uh, and then one day she sent me a track to sing with. And I was like, oh, should I use this? And she was like, why? Which one were you using? And I said, I was supposed to use a track. Uh, <laughs> and she said, and I will brag, she was like, you sounded like that without a track. 
the idea being you listen to like an instrumental track or whatnot in your headphones, but the, but your person on zoom is not receiving, like they can't hear that. Right. 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 So, um, the same way that you and I are podcasting, I can hear you in my ears, but you're not getting you. No. Um, so that idea. Uh, and so you, yeah, you kind of have it in the background, but all that's coming through to, to her, to my teacher is just pure unadulterated me. This is great. Everybody. If you have a wish list song list that you would like to learn how to sing, please share it with us or Duanna, really? Well, no, I, I think because you're going to get jealous. I feel like it's it's a matter of time before you follow in my footsteps, <laughs> especially when you find out what song I just finished, which one I just added to my repertoire that was assigned to me. Which one? It's all coming back to me now. Okay. Well, yeah, that's where you got me. Um, I I run to the wait. No, do I run to that song? No, I don't. Um, it's a little too slow, but there are parts. But yes, I in the car. That is the one that I I like. I like to daydream that I'm performing. Well, there you go. I <laughs> I now know how for real. <laughs> um. Okay, everybody, share your wish list, song list. Tell us what you think of Duana's five song hit list. Um, and yeah, obviously campaign at her for her like, campaign at her so that maybe she can deliver a few bars on our show or just sign That's, up for vocal lessons. I mean, you're asking for it. Yeah. It's got, it's, it is the most, uh, for yourself thing that like, it's the most self care that doesn't involve buying spa products. Um, it is just doing it for the sake of doing it. And it's actually, I feel making an appreciable difference in my life. All right, well, let's get our show started. Here we go. So in light of the um, mass shooting in Atlanta last week, where eight people were killed and six of them were Asian women, there has been a lot of talk um, and uh, coverage in entertainment outlets, including an article in Variety written by Caroline Framke, about how Hollywood is complicit in the violence against Asians in America. And in her piece, she goes on to cite several examples of just shitty, lazy writing, how Asians are represented in, uh, represented in pop culture, on TV shows, in movies. Historically, she goes way back. She, you know, cites um, examples from classic movies like Full Metal Jacket to like an episode of Family Guy. Um, to how Saturday Night Live handled um, a, a situation a couple of years ago. So I, th I thought it would be great. I pitched this to you because you are a creative. Um, and so I'd love to get your feedback on, you know, how Asians are represented in what we watch um, and uh, what we're consuming and really like how to move forward in this conversation in terms of how to involve Asians in storytelling in a productive way that is counter to essentially the thesis in this piece, which again is how Hollywood is complicit in the violence against Asians in America. Oh, so just a full on thesis <laughs> essay and it's like, okay, go. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, it's, we can't talk about this without talking about, uh, who is talking about it, who has been, 
Um, you and I talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, in your job as an entertainment reporter, but also on the social, which is talking about social issues, uh, you are in a position where you have to comment on and shoulder a lot of this kind of conversation, right? Uh, that people are coming to uh, Asians in the media, of which there are not that many, to be like the the reaction, the voice of, well, how does this look? How does this seem? Which must be both infuriating and exhausting. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, yes. And it's interesting because, you know, I have been doing some thinking on this um, about who gets to speak on it. So on one of the shows that I work on, I wasn't on the show like the day after the killings. And so I wanted to make sure that it was in the lineup and it was Mm -hmm. in the lineup. And at the same time, I didn't say, hey, I can be on the show today because I also think it's important that non- Asian people or non-Black people. So, you know, if it, if it's a situation related to Black Lives Matter, engage in these conversations. I think that is the point. I always go back to what Ava DuVernay said about like, you know, the Black community is just trying to survive and thrive. Like we have no time to be here educating you about racism. Go do the reading, go do the work, go do the listening and talk and talk to each other, essentially white people, you know, to, to, to be part of the change. Um, so yeah, there was a, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because there was, I did walk that through in my head. Yeah. And because I think there is, uh, not in this piece, but in other, uh, links that we've shared back and forth, there is, uh, a lot of very warranted, um, we told you so happening, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, a lot of, uh, kind of Asian public figures saying, yeah, everybody has been saying that there's been growing anti-Asian sentiment that people tried to push aside or minimize or uh, describe as isolated incidents. And I actually wonder if those two issues come from the same place. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that part of what this article is is getting at is that there are still jokes made about Asian people that would never, ever pass muster if they were about Black people. Like, that's it's still seen as, a, as an acceptable kind of punchline. Mm-hmm. Or, and I think this was the other uh, element of this piece in Variety, there's an idea that, uh, well, if I, as a comedian, make a joke then it's okay because I'm I'm very tongue in cheek. I'm clearly doing this or I'm getting out in front of the joke and calling myself an asshole, which comedians love to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes it not uh, it makes it not real. And to me, those are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? Saying uh, this saying that these jokes are okay because what? Because they're endorsed or because the I yeah it's it's a really interesting thing that that this kind of minimizing and anti-Asian sort of uh humor has been hiding in plain sight this Mm. whole time 
Does that make sense? It does. Um, and, you know, I say that we're not even in stand-up comedy circles where I think it, I think it continues to come up. Um, and where I think I was thinking a lot about the, the Asian people in media, and there are some in comedy and there are some in uh, like the TV writing space and so forth. Um, there are not a lot of super recognizable uh, personalities, people who are in the middle, uh, who, you know, people go to who would be able to say, actually, this is kind of bullshit, where they had the kind of the standing to do so. Um, the name that keeps coming to mind is Lisa Ling, for example, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Lisa Ling had both the profile and the kind of forthrightness where she could say, you know what's bullshit is like these Asian jokes that people continue to make yeah. or whatever. Um, but she's, uh, and I say that because she has the reach. Of course, there are other people that we've mentioned, Jenny Yang and Liz Alper and so forth, people who are working, uh, who have been saying this kind of thing, but for whom their voices would reach. Mm -hmm you know, maximum density. I don't even know if Alan Yang, who's, you know, the uh, a showrunner, co-showrunner of, of Master of None and of other shows coming up. I don't even know if he has like name recognition that is big enough for comments like that to make sense. Yeah. So I think part of the reason that we're talking about this is because um, this has gone unchecked for a long time because mm -hmm. there aren't enough people kind of raising their eyebrows and pushing back, right? Yeah, I, you know, I think this is a great point. And, you know, we'll put this in the show notes, but two of the things I sent to you, um, you know, when we were mapping out this episode is a tweet um, from Angelo Carasone. Um, and Angelo took a screenshot of Meet the Press this weekend where they were discussing anti-Asian violence. and there were no panelists who were Asian. No. And the panelists are, I would say, roughly all in the same 10-year age bracket. Yes. And all, you know, I the kind of people that they put on Meet the Press are from, you know, political circles, but they're yes. all very much of a type and a circle and a whatnot, right? It's That's not right. Great. That it's not great. And let me just make it clear, this is different from, you know, us lining up a, a news show where you you know, you just cover headlines, which is what I was talking about earlier when I was saying, you know, you don't need an Asian presenter or an Asian host on that episode to say, to be like, this is what happened and here's how celebrities are reacting to it, right? That is different from a panel discussion where they're analyzing perhaps the root causes of something like this, how it was handled, how it was mishandled, especially in that press conference with, you know, the police spokesperson doing uh, what he did and describing the things the way he described. So um, so that was one example, Duanna. And then the other example is um, Nancy Chen, um, who, you know, is a news broadcaster for, uh, I believe it's CBS, and sent out a tweet um, saying, quote, looking to talk to Asian Americans about their experience uh, experiences in the workplace for a story on CBS this morning. Please respond if you're interested. Interview can be in person or by Zoom. That was a tweet sent Monday or posted Monday, um, March 22nd. So clearly they are doing 
more follow-up stories, which I'm encouraged by. Um, and there is, uh, it appears to be an Asian producer uh, spearheading this, which I'm also encouraged by. Sure. Uh, I'm less encouraged by uh, the fact that uh, six hours after she posted it, uh, it had had barely any engagement. Uh, mm -hmm. There are 34 likes and, you know, a handful of retweets. Uh, it's not the kind of engagement that we usually see mm -hmm. from something of this nature. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that is that can be I can see both sides of that. I can see, uh, you know, people not engaging with it, not sharing it, i.e. this is not that big an issue. And I can see uh, people who are Asian going, what's the benefit to me here? Why mm -hmm. do I go on and discuss this and like rip open my my wounds, so to speak, uh, and talk about this for for what reason? You know, and so it's it's frustrating more so than it than it should be, I think. It is frustrating. And, you know, it, it, it's frustrating to, um, you know, to go back to movies and and television um, and you talk. I think the phrase you used was hiding in plain sight or right. Mm -hmm. it, it just is there because um, in Caroline Framke's piece for Variety, again, she cited all these examples. But, you know, I immediately thought of the most recent example um, in film that, uh, you know, I had. I think reviewers had talked about, Sarah wrote about it when she reviewed the film for Lainey Gossip. I actually talked about it when I was watching the trailer. And that's Guy Ritchie's movie, The Gentleman. Um, mm -hmm. There's a scene, it's, it's still in the trailer. There's a scene um, involving Colin Farrell opening up a trunk in a, like a car, like a car trunk, the boot, as people in the UK would say. And there is an Asian man who's tied up. I mean, this is a gangster movie, whatever. And there are white gangsters and there are Asian gangsters and whatever. And there's an Asian person who is probably playing a character in the back seat. And the the what Colin Farrell ends up doing is making fun of the man's last name. <sighs> right? Like, and so there is... <laughs> Significantly, I mean, the, everybody in the move, like movie are, is gangsters, but some of the, quote, bad guy gangsters are, uh, you know, Henry Golding's team. So he is Asian. Right. And so you get this joke, joke I put in quotes, about a last name and making fun of the last name. And again, like, you know, Full Metal Jacket was decades ago. Mm -hmm. So there may be some people who are like, hey, across the board, this was acceptable decades ago. Let's put that there for now. But this was 2019. This is a movie that came out like two years ago. And again, nobody said, like, it, there was no noise about it. Right. No, and no, there wasn't. And I want to be really, really clear that part of, like, there is a faction of people who walk down the road of, then what can we do? What can we say? What can we? And frankly, if if there were as many leading and starring roles for Asian actors, if there were as many shows on TV mm -hmm. that had full, uh, you know, the fully Asian casts or fully black casts or whatnot, when we get to that point, when we have more than one show that is, uh, you know, has an indigenous cast and crew and is about the indigenous experience, 
then we can talk about whether there's equal opportunity jokes or can we joke about all the things. The reason that any any given example that we that we talk about, you know, well, he makes fun of the guy's name. Well, wouldn't he have made fun of it if it had, you know, once upon a time, um, Eastern European names used to be fodder for that kind of thing. But the idea that people, well, what what can you say when we are at the place where that is not the only representation that we see? Mm. Uh, in films like this, then we're having a different conversation. We're not there yet. When yeah. you say, oh, H- Henry Golding's uh, gang, is that what you said? Like his his yeah. gang of people or whatnot? I'm willing to movie, bet, yeah. I'm willing to bet Henry Golding is the only name actor in there, right? Or, or one of the only name mm. actors mm-hmm. in said gang. We're mm. not there yet. Whereas you can do, uh, again, I don't know who was in this movie, uh, We'll Matthew McConaughey, Colin. Colin Farrell. There you uh-huh. go. Anybody Hugh else? Grant. Like, oh, see, those are Charlie yeah. Hunnam. There you go. Four big names of hey, I'm a Brit or Irish white guy, or I just aspire to be if I'm Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> um, and we don't have that in the same way. And we don't have that in the same way for Black actors, for Indigenous actors. Uh, it's just beginning to be the case, although it is often the same few people over and over and over again. And there's not a thick class past the thousands. All of which is not news to anybody, but all of which is to say that the reason that people can't speak up as vocally or as frankly, as pissed offedly as they would like is because that's still a jeopardizing, tenuous mm. position. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I would say the same is true behind the camera. Any given person, but we've been talking about this all year and beyond. Any given person can fight certain fights, right? But you have to pick your battles because if you commented on, and this is something I've heard a lot uh, in the you know anti-racist uh, black dialogue, uh, is black people saying, if we complained every single time white people were racist, you know, we'd, we'd never hear the end of it. There are so many things that we just let slide. And I'm quite, quite sure that uh, there are Asian actors and uh, creatives behind the camera saying the same thing, right? Some things we, we go, I'll live to fight another day. So let me ask you this, because you have, you have been the showrunner for a show that had um, not only an Asian lead, but like her character's name was in the title of the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a couple of few years ago now, uh, I made a, uh, a web series uh, called Upstairs Amy. And uh, yes, Amy was uh, an Asian woman. And we knew mm-hmm. that at the outset. And that's that's who we were looking for. You know, and this is uh, this is related, but it, it reminded me. Um, all of that, like, you know, this, this, this topic reminds me of like Sandra O's reaction to getting the script for Killing Eve and Mm -hmm. only Mm -hmm. later realizing because she had been conditioned otherwise to be like, oh, I'm Eve. Like, you know, I'm the lead. And there's two things here. It's, being sent a script in which she was playing the main character and then layered on top of that, a main character who gets to have 
her character's name in the title. That's a big deal. Like that is something, right? So when I think about Upstairs Amy, I also think about, you know, and of course we can't say she's not here, but I imagine it must have been quite something to be an Asian actress and to be part of a project um, and also have your character's name in the title of the show. I, I hope so. Um, I, I, I hope so. I will say that, you know, uh, casting for, uh, for that project and knowing that we wanted, uh, we, you know, we had a specific casting profile, like, like all shows, you know, somebody who was between 30 and 35 who, mm -hmm. uh, or, or not, I'm not, uh, not going to call it anybody's age. Um, <laughs> who was Asian, who was, uh, there were definitely performers who auditioned who I knew of, uh, but certainly I don't think there were many, even though I knew kind of a lot of the actors who had been working in Canada for a long time, who had had kind of comparable roles uh, where they were front and center, because often that's not who was cast in those cases. And this was not, let's be clear, like this is, this was a, a web series. Um, mm -hmm. It had uh, a corporate partner, uh, and I don't want to say who because we don't want to advertise for them. But they actually, if you watch it, it's on YouTube still. You can find it. And you'll know who the partner is. They were great, um, that kind of thing. Um, but I think there were not. My point being, this is not primetime HBO. But I still mm -hmm. think, yeah, it, you're right. It was not uh, something that had happened. And so, you know, I. I'm like, I was really excited too that, you know, I remember when you were working on it and it was exciting. And also we weren't talking that much because your shoot schedule, I remember on that show was pretty tight and crazy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was definitely utterly and completely in that world and uh, picked up with friends afterwards. Yes. And, but also I, I, I guess, you know, there's two converse or there's multiple conversations when we talk about like, you know, representation, we want the stories, like the storytellers, uh, you know, ideally we want to have diversity in who the storytellers are, you know, in front of and behind the camera. But I have to say like the moment where I was like, oh, um, lead actress, Asian story about an Asian name in the title. Cool. Cool. I like there was a cool, cool to that, like in, in the way that not that I didn't like, I don't think that there should be people who are represented of all backgrounds in the writer's room. But I do think that there is something to be said to go back to your point about the gentleman of having names, recognizable names in lead positions, right? It, a lot of times it's not everything, but that can take care of a lot of things. Absolutely. Right. And I'm, I'm yeah, not, I'm not stepping in it here because I know people are going to start yelling. Like it's not enough to just cast somebody in the lead role. I get it is not enough, but it can take care of some things, not all the things, but a lot of things. Well, but we all can, but we got to do all of the things is the point, but we can't always do all of the things all at the same time. Yes. So to be clear, um, yeah, upstairs, Amy was about Amy. It was, uh, you know, it had an Asian lead, uh, Nido uh, was our actress. She was incredible. Uh, the writing room did not have Asian people in it. Uh, the story was not particularly focused on her Asian identity. It was much more focused on her identity as as like a parent and you know as a as a partner and so forth. Uh, so I don't. I want to be clear that it's not like it was curing all 
um, you know, all the things or all the ills. But uh, even still, at, cool, cool. Cause like you're cool, putting, cool. Yeah. right? You're putting this Asian woman who happens to be Amy. She, I don't know, she's upstairs. She's a mom and she's going through the things. Like that also is, um, you know, what a, a lot of people who are, have been pushing for in terms of t- storytelling and diversity is like, I don't have to be the, you know, in, 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 in the black experience, like don't tell the slave story. Like, do we have to have another slave story? Right. Like the housekeeper story, the nanny story can't just be some girl walking to work. Well, exactly. You know, and that was absolutely the goal. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I was happy about that and, and happy to get to make those choices. You know, the, the, mysterious woman next door uh was an indian woman which is not something we always see and also she's not she's amazing uh but you know turns out to be not that mysterious i say that because as i'm talking i'm hearing myself going oh maybe mysterious is you know a short step towards exotic but that's Mm. not that's not the way this goes no uh and again not to pat myself on the back or the producers on the back it was just Um, you know, because everything can always be different. I would do it differently today than I did four years ago. Um, but yeah, it was a delight to be able to, to, to make that show with an eye only towards, uh, who are the people that we want to see in this story and what have we not gotten to see and how, how will that go down? Um, so yeah, it's great when you can, it's, not often enough. There are so many reasons why it's not often enough. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But you know what? This is a layered, complicated time situation that you and I aren't proposing to have solutions for. We're we're just talking anecdotally. We're just talking anecdotally about our experiences, your experience on Upstairs Amy, um, certainly my experiences as someone like who is Asian in the media. Um, and when I meet, when I talk about layered and complicated, we have talked on this show about like, you know, writing in particular, right? Story, like books and mm-hmm. who gets to talk about or who gets to write certain characters um, mm-hmm. who aren't from that background. And there's a valid argument there too about um, understanding the backgrounds of the people you, the characters you're creating and really having a deeper appreciation for that before you write it. Or as we were just saying, or you just put someone in a situation like, and have them walk down the street and they don't have to be anything or they don't have to be attached to all of that. It is layered and complicated. Like I said, upstairs, Amy is not the end all and be all and the one fits all. No, but it also shouldn't be uh, the last thing that we remember that had, you know, uh, an Asian lead in kind of a, a domestic-y comedy, let's say. You know, the thing that 
struck me the hardest recently, uh, and I mean outside of the actual news of the murder of eight people in Atlanta, um, was a couple of weeks ago. And, and of course, you know, as as the the term like, you know, anti-Asian hate has been arising, there have been stories coming out. Uh, somebody pulled up Katie Lung uh, giving mm. quotes about, you know, being uh, subjected to racist abuse when she was in the Harry Potter movies and told to lie about it. Uh, but what I think about is, and I think it was referenced in the, in the Aquafina article in uh, Harper's that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago uh, or a couple of months ago, uh, the idea that she and Lucy Liu had been the Asian women to host mm. SNL. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to Lucy Liu who has been working constantly but I don't think she's been a host SNL level celebrity in a long time. Mm -hmm. And the idea that in the interim, there's been no other Asian woman of note to kind of go, oh yeah, let's put them into that slot. That was what kind of underscored the point mm -hmm. the hardest mm -hmm. for me of like, we cannot possibly say this is why I guess we're still in the representation at all point yeah. of view, right? This is why, because we're not yet there to say, uh, look, uh, Asian people have nuance and many different degrees of who they are and how they can be. Of course they can. And mm -hmm. while we're at it, of course, you know, it's, it's, I'm aware that we, we keep saying Asian people and not Vietnamese people, as opposed mm. to Korean people, as opposed to Japanese people. It's still bothersome that we have that big sort of mm -hmm. envelope as a way to to address this issue. Um, but it, it, that was what was so striking to me is to go really in 20 mm. odd years, nobody in between, nobody that was, you know, notable in the same way. Yeah. And like, Sandra O, oh, of course, uh, you know, maybe she's been asked to and declined. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, but that sort of, you know, that kind of idea, there's certainly not a preponderance of people that even we think could be called on. And yeah. like everything else with with representation, with actors, with on-air hosts, with whatever, it's not that they don't exist. Yeah. Right. It's that they're not being seen. I'm actually shocked that Steven Yun, um, who is now an Oscar nominee, um, and given the popularity and the viewership of The Walking Dead, um, and of course the fact that Minari is an Oscar contender, has not been announced as a, an SNL host upcoming, considering his background is in comedy and improv. Like, that's how he started in the business. I mean, look, first of all, I didn't know that because The Walking Dead uh, doesn't make you think, oh, yeah, no. a comedy guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, I think there are a lot of Asian actors who might say that comedy was their in, which is a whole conversation mm. on its own. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but, you know, and I think SNL has had difficulty booking and that's a different conversation. But the point is, yeah, how come it's taken until and after he was an Oscar nominee for that even to be a conversation. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting like SNL. Like, I don't know what, 
what the holdup is. Like this is what the the root, right? Oscar nominees or during the campaign season, you have the potential nominees. So Stephen Yeun to me is a no brainer. I am waiting for this to happen. Um, but to go back to Aquafina, um, you know, you mentioned that we talked about her um, a little while ago in the very recently, um, all can things considered uh, after her profile in in Harper's Bazaar. And mm-hmm. we focused our conversation on her name. Right. Because yes. part of, you know, the article was, you know, she's Nora Lum, but she's known as Aquafina and. I came across something that intersects with you totally with this issue in terms of the work that you do um, about names. Um, a reporter, an American, an American reporter, news reporter uh, posted to Facebook. Um, her name is uh, her her known name, I guess, stage name or public name. What do you call that, Duanna? Like, yeah, like I think I, stage. I think I- even if it's a, a professional name, if you okay. will. Yeah. Professional name is Siemni Kim. But in, in this Facebook post that she, she posted, she actually talks about, she calls herself out. She said that she's complicit because that is not her real name. Her real name is Siemni Chuan, C-H-H-U-O-N. When she was starting in the business, the news director said she'd have to change her name because it would be too difficult for a Monday to Friday anchor. No name change, no job. So she ended up choosing the name Kim. She said it's her father's first name, still a way to pay tribute to him and her family. But she did feel uncomfortable at the time because as identifiable as, quote, Chuan is as Khmer, I knew that I was taking on a name that is distinctly Korean. Mm-hmm. And in inner circles, I'd even joke that I played a Korean woman on TV. She goes on to say, deep down, I knew that this incident is just as anti-Asian as the kids on the playground who refuse to learn or make fun of your name. Uh, this, this nearly broke me, Duanna, but it also reminded me of you. Um, because you talk about the importance of names, what names tell people about ourselves. and But you have also been 100% an advocate of just learn how to pronounce people's names. And I think that has been a conversation we have been having, especially since last week um, when we found out that, you know, six of the eight victims in Atlanta were Asian women. And already the Asian community immediately after was saying, you better not fuck up these names. Well, look, I'm going to say something as I, I imagine that that reaction, you better not fuck up these names, comes from uh, the places of the gentleman and Colin Farrell making mm-hmm. fun of, or uh, from Long Duck Dong in 16 Candles, yeah. which is still the one that comes closest to mind. Look, you can tell me I'm wrong and people can tell me I'm wrong, but I would argue that the reason the names are not said, the reason that she was told you have to change your name uh, is because the fear of saying it wrong or it getting wrong or somebody not knowing how to say it or stumbling on air 
was seen as as unattractive or unflattering. You yourself pointed out to me that one of one of the reasons that uh, we hadn't been hearing the victims' names was because they they needed to inform their next of kin. Mm-hmm. But another was that people didn't want to take a chance on saying those names. And I, you know, of course, I want people's names to be said and heard and represented properly, but not at the expense of them not being said at all. I would rather hear anchors try to say them and stumble and apologize and say that they're learning or better yet have a pronunciation key and lesson beforehand mm-hmm. than not to say them at all. Yeah. And that is, I could be, I could be wrong. I can see an argument elsewhere. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, you better not get them wrong is an understandable thing when it comes to Lucy Lou, as opposed to Elaine Louie. I've heard you called Lou more times than I can mm. count. Um, or, or, you know, whatnot. Or is it Alan Yang or Alan Chang or what? Like ignorance. Yeah. But yeah. that said, I want to hear people say those names so that we get comfortable with saying those yeah. names. And then to go back to work, though, this is a barrier for a lot of people, right? We've you know, we've talked about it when, where it, it, you know, it concerns, um, black people in media. We talked about it with, um, Mahershala Ali, for example, Uh right. Uh Um, it is a barrier. Like when you are good at your job, when you are an aspiring reporter or an aspiring news anchor, um, this is not something that someone who doesn't have a name like Samney's name has to consider where, you know, the news director is coming in and saying, hey, you know, it might be off-putting. Essentially, that's what he was saying. It might be off-putting for not only people to have to say your name Monday to Friday, but like to put it on the screen. They're thinking about what it looks like on the screen. It will be unfamiliar to viewers on the screen. You and I work in TV. We know like this is all the things that they take into consideration, unfortunately. And they're thinking, hey, you know, Jane Jones is way, quote, easier for people to read when we, you know, list you. Sure. Yeah. On the, on the supers, on the Chiron, but this is, this is the reality. And, and, you know, when she shares her story, I think it really brings it home for people, all the layers and layers of work bullshit that people go through when it comes to sending in a resume. Mm Mm-hmm. When it comes to doing an interview, when it comes to having being a news anchor and having to worry about how, you know, the public, the viewers will pronounce your name and read your name. Yeah. And that those tiny barriers are, you know, put in place that, oh, maybe then somebody's not so comfortable with me. Oh, maybe somebody's not so comfortable when they have to stand up and ask for my name at the job interview or at the whatever. Just a million things that half-step things behind. Uh, Which, again, is why I'll advocate for uh, pronunciation keys in your name, for advocating for your name to be said properly, in no small part because once people say it right, then they they realize they can. Tell Tell me about her name. How do I say it? Listen, I am not of the same background, so I, I, 
I don't know. And I haven't looked at, like, I haven't been able to go in and, and, um, I saw this on Twitter, obviously. Right. So I haven't reading it. Yeah. I'm reading it. So the first name is, I'm pronouncing it the way it reads, um, Siemny, S-I-E-M-N-Y. Okay. Last name, C-H-H-U-O-N, Chuan. Siemni Chuan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not instinctive necessarily for me to read that name and know how to say it. But you know what's not going to happen? That I'm going to get more comfortable with it by, by not saying it, by not right. trying it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's where we need to get to. Well, I think it's also, that's why, like what we were seeing was Asian journalists, um, posting videos of themselves with like, as a tutorial saying the victim's names and it was being shared over and over again, including by the Asian American Journalists Association, letting people know, Hey, here's a guide, everybody in news. Here we go. Um, But it could only happen because there were Asian Americans in those specific newsrooms. There are many newsrooms without. Yeah, absolutely. The problem with that doesn't just relate to pronunciation, but then it relates to reporting because, you know, and this can spin us into a different conversation altogether. So, and we don't have to go there, but um, it can go, it can affect reporting because. Korean media outlets based in South Korea were scooping American news outlets where the crime happened. And the reason why is because Korean media had the communication skills to reach out to people in those communities and say, hey, what happened? What did you see? What did what did the murderer say? Who yeah, was not killed? to mention a more receptive audience. Uh, Correct. You know, like yes. No, I, I don't. I doubt there was anything in the Korean news going. You know, we're not sure if this is a racist attack just yet. <laughs> right. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> right. Anyway, so uh, it's the work is affected on multiple levels. Yeah, it is and will continue to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what is important to to kind of look towards is who gets past uh, the barriers and how. Um, And this is where we come back to entertainment, which is to say, um, you know, I'm thinking, for example, about uh, Geraldine Viswanathan. Do you know who I mean? Oh, I do. Geraldine Viswanathan is an actress. Uh, She was in Blockers and she was in Bad Education, which I feel like I was the only person who saw. Um, And... Her last name is Tamil. It's long and maybe initially kind of intimidating looking. Do you know why I know how to say it? Because blockers had the massive, you know, media push behind it Mm -hmm. that all of those kind of uh, gross out uh, K-Canon, I think Judd Apatow was associated somehow. There's a Leslie Mann was in it, so... Massive press push. Um, uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen were producers. So there you go. So that means there's a massive press push. So that means that I hear 
Geraldine Viswanathan over and over and over, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, the same thing is true of my Maitreyi Ramakrishnan, Ramakrishnan. Yeah. right? Um, Never Have I Ever. It's a show yeah. made by Mindy Kaling, whose name actually, uh, Kaling is short for Chokalingam, which is her the full version of her last name. But again, another conversation for another time. The reason I know how to say Maitreyi Ramakrishnan other than the fact that she's a hometown girl. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering when Brampton was going to come out. <laughs> it was, well, no, she's from Mississauga. It's not the same. But, okay. <laughs> um, but it's because it's a Netflix show. There's a massive push. We hear her name over and over. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not hard. It is intimidating maybe to go, wow, that's a long last name. Let me see how I do that. Where do I put the emphasis? It's not hard. That's a different scenario. And so yeah. this is where we come back to entertainment. The more we see people, the more we get comfortable with people in our spaces in all the ways and who are, you know, who have an expectation that their names are pronounced properly and, and understood and all the rest of it. Uh, and that there's no, that we get away from needing anglicization, that we get away from the idea that there are names that are hard that there are situations in which you shouldn't have to say somebody's name, mm -hmm. all of which are, are bullshit. Total bullshit. But I do want to end maybe on, you gave me a reason to end on, on, uh, on a good note. Geraldine, uh, you mentioned bad education and blockers. Also, most recently, the Broken Hearts Gallery, which she is delightful in this movie. I feel like, I mean, it wasn't the perfect rom-com, but it hit me where I live. Um, and uh, she plays a romantic lead, right? Lucy, devastated when her boyfriend breaks up with her. There you go. I'm just reading it, the synopsis from Wikipedia here, but um, I love this movie is so cute and she's one of the stars and she is going to be a big star. So watch it. Uh, so I sent you this piece in the LA Times, uh, and I would have sent it to you regardless, but it is, it's written by somebody that I consider to be one of my like little internet pets. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when you have people who you've never met and yes. who would not know you, but you're like, oh, they're, I like them. And they feel like they're, they're special to me. Um, and so it, the headline is, I was almost cast as Jenny Humphrey in Gossip Girl. Was I not hot enough? Uh, and so before we go any further, I guess my first question to you is, is, and I don't even know if I was the first one to send it to you, but my question is, what did you think this piece was going to be? Well, I thought the piece was going to be the headline. It was a right. total misdirect. It is a total misdirect, yeah. right? Uh, and so uh, the piece is written by Sarah Ramos. And likely you are going, uh, I don't, do I know her? I don't know if I do. Um, and so we'll get into who Sarah Ramos is and why this is kind of a, an interesting piece. But what did you, what did you think about it when you read it? Well, again, the headline is the, the thing that draws you in, right? Like, you know, you're, you're like, what? And uh, but the headline does not represent the piece at all. The piece, to me, is about grief. Mm -hmm. um, that was what, to me, that was the, the thesis of her essay. 
It was about grief and um, it was a story about grieving and layered in with a Hollywood experience of what people have to endure during their grieving and how Hollywood can be particularly cruel um, as, you know, as an actor who is, as a, especially as a young actor who is who's going through, uh, to going through it. Yeah, you know, if if I were going to say, like, cruel, sure, but I think the word I would choose uh, is dissociative, maybe, mm. um, because Sarah Ramos uh, is, if you don't know the name, you almost certainly know her face. Uh, she's been, like, a working actor for a long time. Uh, she's kind of most famous for playing Hattie Braverman on Parenthood. Uh, but she's had a bajillion other uh, other roles, um, and uh, she's briefly in Peaks of Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I didn't know. Um, but she is probably most famous these days for her Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, where she kind of reenacts iconic movie scenes that we all grew up on, and she acts out all the roles. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned one recently that you liked. Uh, well, I think she, like, this was, I mean, they all go, like, reasonably viral, but I think the one that went mega, mega viral is when she reenacted Dakota Johnson's interview with Ellen DeGeneres, and she right. played both Dakota and Ellen, and this was the interview where Ellen, or sorry, where Dakota basically told Ellen about herself, where she was like, yeah, um, you know, that's Why not true, Ellen. Yes. I, I did invite you're a liar. You didn't come. Yes. <laughs> right. And at you're the right. time, I'm yeah, at the time, all that controversy with Ellen was happening. So it was like perfectly timed and she went super viral for it. And that's when people started to, I think, more and more people started to appreciate all the other reenactments that she was doing. Right. And um, this is Jermaine uh, because... Uh, it's germane for two reasons. So yes, she's gone really viral. My favorite is the uh, the iconic bitch scene from uh, Aaron Brockovich. Oh, you want a number? Seven. That's the number of kids that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Five is the number of, uh, and I'm actually, now that I think about it, I'm actually conflating two different number scenes from Aaron Brockovich. Um, <laughs> this is the one where she's telling the bitch lawyer, like five, 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 seven, oh, five. That's so-and-so, and they have three kids, and this is blah, 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 which is right. different than a different number sequence. Anyhow, <laughs> um, but uh, I bring it up because Sarah Ramos is very, like, her, in, those sort of reenactments that she does are a little bit campy, and they're very self-aware, and this piece, which is written, as you say, uh, as kind of a, a meditation on grief, and which is itself kind of a meditation on her college entrance essay mm. um it's written in an exceedingly self-aware way of the sequence of events leading to her almost being cast as and then not being cast as yeah. jenny humphrey on gossip girl yeah and i found it really interesting because uh, first of all it is as good as any, maybe more good than anything else. More good, by the way. That's where we are in the recording process. 
It is maybe better than anything else. People love to say, oh, Hollywood is not glamorous. Um, But I think this shows how it is not glamorous in the most mundane way. Mm. Um, You know, there's lists of callbacks and phone calls and work sessions. And even as a, like, even if you were so close to a role that you really wanted, it sounds boring as hell. And, you know, there's an, there's a lot of mention of parking structures and a lot of mention of, you know, outside the bungalow at which I whatever. And you kind of get the impression, you get a little bit of a sense of what it is to be a working actor and the sort of endless exhaustion that it is when you do come so close to something, when you don't get a part, when you don't get all the way there with something, right? Well, now that you mentioned it, that's another layer of uh, like another example of why this is such a layered, really effective piece of writing. Because when you visualize, when most people visualize Los Angeles and Hollywood, what you visualize is lights and the palm trees and the gloss of it all. But most of the physical description, but most of the physical descriptions of the place, the city, the town, wherever that she provides are like the ugly building that I had to drive by. Um, the, Mm -hmm. you know, a strip mall or whatever. And a big brown brick building on La Brea is that's right. So it, 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 it goes to show that whatever the palm tree slash big lights, billboards illusion that anyone has when they get there or they're going there or whatever, it gives way to a place that becomes a big brown building that I drove past on La Brea. And yeah, it's really an effective piece of writing, like a really great writing choice to, to, to like really well done. Well, and it's kind of stunning in how it makes you feel. And again, we've been learning about this stuff and reading about this stuff for, for almost decades now at this point. And uh, I think it does an excellent job. It just kind of, uh, showing the anonymity of uh, of what all this looks like, the kind of incidental nature of, well, you know, if you don't go to this one thing this one afternoon, then your whole kind of life trajectory has changed, um, you know, and the sort of, oh, so-and-so likes me, so maybe I do get cast in this or, or I don't, uh, in a way that is very incidental. Like, I guarantee you that after they cast that show, and there's a mock-up in this LA Times piece of the uh, New York mag that had the Gossip Girl cast on the cover in their mm-hmm. underwear. Mm-hmm. And like, once that train has left the station, nobody is thinking about Sarah Ramos or for that matter, the four other also rands for each of those parts, right? Yeah, yeah. You just go on being kind of an anonymous cog. Yeah, but I would say um, there is arguably the most kind of famous quote in the piece uh, is one that I'm not sure is even um, it's it's uh, a viral tweet, actually, that she quotes here. And it says, if you live in L.A. long enough, mm-hmm. you'll see someone who hurt your feelings on a billboard, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, right? like it's a great that's a- tweet. Yeah. It is. And the original tweet is from January 4th, 2019. It's from somebody called Nikki Yeagerman, I think. Um, and, uh, and 
she actually includes the billboard. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I think this is effective at showing kind of the, the war of attrition, essentially, like the million different ways that we spent a lot of time going, why did this performer do this? Why did this actress do this? Why are they like this? Yeah. Um, and this is a little bit of a mm. sketch of why, you know? It's a great point, Duanna, because, you know, and, and to bring it into, I haven't used this phrase in a while, real life application. It, imagine everybody out there, whatever job you have, like all the times that you applied for a job and didn't get it, what Hollywood is, is that you have to walk around day to day seeing that person who got your job. Dwarfed by that person, <laughs> watching your yes. friends lust after that person, right? Yes. Um, and, and you can it, hide yeah. from it, but that kind of thing becomes, like it gets into the zeitgeist, right? Not mm -hmm. every part that you lose, not every job that you lose is going to be Gossip Girl, but sometimes yeah. those things happen and they are, they're huge. And what can you do except kind of go, well, yep, I, I, I guess I'll keep going. The other side of it, though, to me, is that uh, I, I said, oh, Sarah Ramos is one of my like internet darlings because I have always had a soft spot for her. Mm -hmm. um, her performance on Parenthood was, I'm just going to say it, super weird in the okay. best way possible. Yeah. Like she just played, you know, an overachieving teenage daughter and she chose the weirdest line readings and she chose to be kind of angry and grumpy a lot of the time. And it seemed clear was actively choosing not to just be slotted into a, a teen role, you know, mm -hmm. like she was making the characters, somebody distinct and unusual with whatever screen time she got on a show with like 25 leads. Uh, and it made a difference and, you know, choosing to do things like the Dakota and Ellen thing. There are a lot of actresses in her position who would be afraid to do something like that because it could bring negative energy on you, or maybe people won't want to, you know, I'll never be invited because... on Ellen. Exactly. Like, yeah. this is so weird. Um, so the other side of this, not to be so rosy about the whole thing is that being Jenny Humphrey would have necessitated being essentially anonymous, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And this has allowed her to grow into a fascinating, interesting, creative woman. Um, and so I guess I'm just, I'm more interested. I, th I guess what I'm saying is this is somebody who is making a career, if you will, out of the stuff you're supposed to keep secret still in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. The parts you didn't get, the opinions that you have. Like, I'm sure there are people who have gone on Ellen who hate Ellen's guts, but you're supposed to smile and go mm -hmm. and smile if you like them or, or Jimmy Fallon or, or whatever else. Right. Yeah. Um, but this is somebody who kind of semi peeked behind the curtain and also is better known than she's ever been for kind of skewering that and, and kind of skewering herself. And I find it kind of, I, I find it kind of attractive. Yeah. But I mean, maybe, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. No, I find it very attractive. And was this an excerpt from an upcoming memoir? Uh, not yet that, okay. we, that we know of. I mean, that'd be great. 
but uh, no, it is, uh, it's part of the LA Times issue on remembrance. So okay. it's possible that they asked her to contribute something maybe, or that she submitted right. something. I don't know. Yeah. Because uh, like having seen this like skill of hers. Yeah. N- now I do want a book of essays. Sure. Um, and you get the idea that she's lived uh, in kind of a fringe way enough to have stuff to say, right? Yeah. What I do think, uh, and I've never heard her say this, I don't think, but I would believe it to be true, is that uh, when you are, you know, an aspiring actor or writer or whatnot of a certain, like, skill level, uh, and you don't get hired on something, or you don't get staffed or whatnot, people will say, well, stop asking for permission. Just make your own stuff. Just do, just write your own thing. Sell your own show. Create your own thing for yourself to start in, mm-hmm. which is good advice in which people do to varying degrees of success, right? Yeah. I think the most successful are the people who don't know they're doing it at the time, yeah. uh, which takes us back to Aquafina, right? Yeah. But I think that this is, um, this is her kind of going, okay, I, you know, I will make stuff for myself in the extreme. I will play all the parts. I will, you know, costume myself and so on and so forth. Uh, But doing that is also like kind of rocket developing her voice in a way that's different than if you just write a rom-com or an indie film or whatever. Yeah. So which it's just, it's a cool swerve, if you will. Now, of course, I'm like scrolling her uh, Wikipedia because I'm sure she's also... uh, made a short there you go directed and and starred in a short film um actually she also did one where she she cast herself in a soap that she had written when she was 12 like it was uh (laughs) written and directed as written when she was 12 um so you know just just leaning into things that once upon a time i'm sure felt like roadblocks I love, I, like, I mean, I, I like I said, I love this ed- essay. I thought it was a great piece of writing. I obviously enjoyed her parody of Dakota Fanning or Dakota Johnson and um, Ellen DeGeneres. And, you know, I think that having, again, this internet identity, um, this was not possible for people 20 years ago. You know, the Sarah Ramoses of the world. No, it wasn't possible. And it would have been looked down on. It would have been seen as a bit embarrassing, a little bit sad. You know, Um, I don't know if she actually did this or just talked about doing this. She actually one of the monologues that she did on Instagram was uh, Reese Witherspoon talking to the cop who pulled over her (laughs) husband. Right, right, right. Um, You know, like just kind of being fearless in terms of of what you take on is also something that a lot of people would would caution you against trying. Be careful. Be, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you want to step on that toe. Um, but, uh, but clearly she's found that like actually stepping on toes, leaning into this is, is her strength. Um, and probably to your point about a book of essays, probably what's going to take her to the next big thing. 
And that takes us to the end of this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Keep sending us your feedback. We so appreciate it. And don't forget, let us know about your sing-along list. Or sorry, Duanna, if you could sing a song professionally, which five would it be? Uh, We'll also take your weird quarantine hobbies, uh, especially the weirder ones that are not as cute as everybody making bread this time last year. (laughs) Uh, Like if you've gotten deeply into podiatry or or embalming or something, uh, hit us up. I think I might start gardening. Anyway, that's for next time. Thank you so much. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye. 